So turn in your copy of God's Word now to page 1. Page 1, Genesis 1, the very first page in your Bible. Very easy to find. If you're new to, the, uh, to God's Word, today is the Sunday for you because we're starting right at the beginning. Right at the beginning, you know. And uh, as we're doing so, and you're finding page one there, there are several threads woven throughout the fabric of Scripture uh, from beginning to end. There are themes that run through everything, or banners that fly over every chapter. And the greatness of God is one of those primary threads. God's greatness runs deep and brilliant in color through an otherwise drab background of uh, the Scriptures. From Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, God is great. That's right. If you were here with us last week uh, at our uh, four-year, I almost said three-year, we're four years old, y'all. Um, you ever have those moments like as a parent and you say, oh, you know, you're eight years old, it's so great, and then your son's like, I'm nine, Dad. Uh, for, for whatever reason, I just can't get it in my head that we had our fourth anniversary. And you can ask the staff. I kept saying in the months leading up to it, it's our three-year anniversary. It's our three-year anniversary. No, Blair. It's our fourth anniversary. But all that to say, last week we uh, looked at this theme that we are going to say continually and that the Bible says continually from beginning to end. And so for the rest of 2021, here at Redemption on our Sundays, we're going to follow this thread through the Scriptures, through 12 chapters, 6 in the Old Testament, starting here at Genesis 1 today, and 6 in the New Testament uh, of our Bible, uh, and looking at this theme of God's greatness. And so the opening words of our Bible... The opening lines here welcome us to this theme of God's greatness like a welcome mat at the front door of God's house. God is great. And so as we get into Genesis 1, it's going to teach us this central truth this morning. Write this down there. It's in your notes, but this is the central truth. God's ability to create makes Him great. God's ability to create makes Him great. And remember, when we say great around here, when the Bible refers to God as great, it means incomparable. God's greatness means that He is superior. He is unequal in who He is and what He does. And so, as we come to our Bible, these opening lines are significant. In the beginning, God... In the beginning, God, there offers no proof of His existence. There is no uh, 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 outline of his, uh, 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 of his origins. It just boldly states, God simply is. And so look at your Bible. I'm going to read just the first two verses here for us, and then we will take it a step further, and we'll look closer in here. Genesis 1, verses 1 and 2 say this, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. This is God's word for God's people. And here's what we can say about these two verses. As we're taking it deeper in here, out of God's greatness, He creates. Out of His greatness, God creates. And this is the theme here of these opening words. And not only are the opening lines of God's existence just laying out for us here, His opening activity is significant as well. 
Out of all of God's acts, when He is introduced here in the beginning, God created. And here's what makes Him different and great, is that He creates out of nothing. You may have even heard the, the fancy words. He creates ex nihilo, out of nothing. There were no raw materials. There was nothing that was also existing that he simply fashioned or shaped or created out of. He creates out of nothing. And why is this significant? I said the opening lines here are significant, that God creates. Well, I think there's a few things that make this significant for us. You can write these down if you want or take a picture of them on your phone. It's significant for us because God was not created. He exists outside of this. He is the Creator and is not a created one by man's mind or any other being in existence. God was not created. And so here's second why it's important. Everything in existence then was created by Him. Everything that we can see, feel, taste, and touch, the use of our senses and what we make was created by Him. And guess who this includes also? Take your fingers and you can go like this. Includes us. We are His creation. We are not God. We do not create like Him. This is significant. But here's the final piece. that God, the Creator, has lovingly revealed Himself to us. We're not just mere creatures without any understanding of who uh, we were created by or where we came from. Rather, God in His greatness. God, out of His great love for humanity, His great love for you has spoken through His creation. As we look down deep into the fabric of, of, uh, of people and the way things work, as we uh, zoom out and we see the immensity of, of the universe, all of it, all of creation is proclaiming the existence and the greatness of God. And as we come to His Word here, we see God specifically revealed to us as the good and great God He is. These opening lines are significant to us. See, Genesis opens with creation. It's written like a story, and we're inter uh, immediately introduced to the main character of the whole Bible and the whole world here. Make no mistake about who Genesis is about. Is it about you? Is it about me? Is it about any created thing? In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. The Bible is about God. And naturally, we, we just, we're bent to look inward. We're bent to make things about us. But as we come to our Bible, at the very uh, front uh, door, at the welcome mat of our Bible, make no mistake, the Bible takes us first vertical upward to see that this is about God. And the opening lines do that here. Genesis 1 to 2 are uh, uh, the creation account. They take us from the general to the particular. As the story of Genesis goes on, there's a narrowing of the storyline. The verses 1 and 2 here, big picture. God is there. He creates the earth. There's nothing there. Earth is formless and void. What does that mean? It means there is nada. Blows our mind. We can't really comprehend because we see physical things here. What does it mean? There was nothing here. Well, this is the best that Moses could describe. A darkness is over the face of the deep, and yet God is there. The Spirit of God is hovering over it all. And so it begins uh, from the, just a general uh, uh, viewpoint. The story is told. Here's God. He creates. And then it begins to narrow in the, previous, or then in the coming verses here. In verses 3 uh, through uh, the second chapter in verse 3, then it talks about the days of creation. We're going to look at it in more detail here in a minute. And then in, in uh, chapter 2, it's a narrowing of the story and God's creation of man and woman. And so make no mistake about who uh, Genesis is about. It's about God. 
in his work to create all things. But make no mistake about what Genesis is about also. See, much is attempted to be made scientifically of these chapters and, uh, that I don't think God even intended for us to do. Right, you've, maybe you've attended classes and seminars and, uh, and things on uh, the, uh, what we make of, of creation and the views and the theories of creation and evolution and all that. And it's right and good to examine and study the scriptures and to come to what, what are our convictions about these things and what are our convictions about the origins of the universe. And if you're hoping I'm going to go there and, and lay out all the things, that's not the case this morning. I'd love to talk about that. You can submit some questions to uh, the Considerate podcast and we'd love to take those questions. But this morning, that's really not what it's about. These topics are not the purpose nor even the emphasis really of Genesis 1, uh, I believe. But we have convictions. Like we have uh, convictions in our, uh, uh, our distinctive statement. We believe here as a church, so literal 24-hour days of creation. So we have convictions, but make no mistake what Genesis 1 is about. It's about God. It's about his activity to create it. It is about God's greatness through uh, his creating uh, ability. See, we create, artists create, we build out of raw materials and resources. Craftsmen take wood and stone and they build homes, they build dressers and furniture and all kinds of uh, things that we use. Artists bring words into order and arrange them beautifully. Uh, artists bring colors together and make beautiful paintings to form something beautiful. And musicians take noise and lyrics and form them into words that we can sing and appreciate. But see the thing here this morning, church, it is only God who truly creates, who takes things out of nothing and builds. We appreciate and use what artists build, right? We sing their songs. We hang their paintings on our wall. We live in the homes in which they build. We appreciate and use these things. But for God, we worship and adore Him only. As the one who creates, as our God who creates, we read the first two verses of, of the Bible and it should lead us into greater worship as we look around at the world around us. We see God is, and because God exists, He deserves our worship. And you know what's really cool? Psalm 104 uh, leads us there in this. Psalm 104 taps into this. Turn there for just a moment. You've got to go past uh, page 1. I don't know what page in your Bible Psalm 104 is. 615 in my Bible. Go there and maybe you'll find it in the vicinity. Psalm 104 leads us to worship God because of His greatness in creation. Look at, look at here, uh, Psalm 104. I'll read it here. As I hear your pages stop turning and I know you find it. Look how it begins. It says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very... Look at it right there. All over the pages of our scripture, he says, You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent. He lays the beams of his chambers on the water. He makes the clouds his chariot. He rides on the wings of the wind. He makes his messengers winds, his ministers a flaming fire. Look at the greatness of God, his majesty over all creation here. Look what it says in verse 5. He set the earth on its foundation so that it should never be moved. That's awesome to think about, right? 
God so great. He covers, verse 6 says, with the deep as with a garment, the water stood above the mountains. At your rebuke, they fled. At the sound of your thunder, they took to flight. Jump over to verse 14. Look at this. Speaking to God, you caused the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate. Who is it that does this? Who is it that is over all of creation? It is the Lord. All of these things are an expression of God's greatness. Verse 16 says, The trees of the Lord are watered abundantly. Go down to verse 19. He made the moon to mark the seasons. The sun knows it's time for setting. You make darkness and it is night when all the beasts of the forest creep about. The young lions, they roar for their prey, seeking their food from God. When the sun rises, they steal away and lie down in their dens. It goes on and on. And look at the expression of worship in verse 24. O oh Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom have you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Out of God's greatness, he creates. As his created ones, we worship him. Jump down to verse 31. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. Hmm. Who looks on the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. May my meditation be pleasing to him, for I rejoice in the Lord. Let sinners be consumed from the earth, and let the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. This is a great chapter. I know I skipped around a little bit, but I would just encourage you, even this week, as you are pondering the greatness of God through the expressed uh, ability of His to create here, I would encourage you to meditate and to chew on Psalm 104. See, God alone creates, and as a, our Creator, we adore and worship Him. This is what we're called to do. Out of God's greatness, He creates, and what He creates, we steward. We don't worship what is created. Rather, we worship the Creator, and I won't go there, but Romans 1 warns us all about this. So, let's take the text a step further, shall we? Let's go a step further here. Out of God's greatness, He creates, and we can take it a step further like the verses do as it goes, narrows, and it becomes more particularly here. We can say this, out of God's greatness, God creates what is good, and what is good we steward with care. What is good, out of His greatness, God creates what is good, and what is good, we steward with care. And that's where, as you come back to Genesis 1 now, that's where the next verses really take us. The remainder of the chapter here uh, teaches us these things. And I won't, won't read all of the creation account here. I trust that you have, or if not, then uh, let this afternoon uh, be uh, the time for that. But uh, as, let me just, as we go through it here, let me just draw your attention to a pattern and then some repetition. Some repeated things here. Now, if you're a Bible student and you're trying to understand the meaning of a text, there's just two things to always look for in a text. Is there some patterns to the way that the writer is writing? Or are there some repeated things to draw our attention to? And if there are some of those things, you should take note of them as you're trying to understand what the Bible is talking about. And so, in Genesis 3, uh, uh, Genesis 1, verse 3, there begins to be a pattern about the creation of God, or the order in which he creates. First, in the first three days, he forms the earth. Day one, he forms the heavens. And day two, he forms the waters. And on day three, he forms the earth. 
First three days, God's creative activity is to form the heavens, water, and earth. And then on the second three days, on days four, five, and six, He fills the heavens. He fills the water. He fills the earth. And so as you read through it, just take note of that. It's, it's an easy way to see God's created order here. He forms and then He fills. He forms the heavens, waters, and earth, and then He fills the heavens, water, and earth on these successive days. And what does He do then on day seven, y'all? He rests, takes a Sabbath, rests there, and uh, we have much to learn even from that. But there's a pattern here to see in the way that he does it. But then there's also several things that are repeated. There's several things that are repeated. Look at verse 3 here on day 1. At the beginning he says, let there be light. You got it, bud. Let there be light. And then on day 2 in verse 6, he says, Let there be an expanse. And on day 3 in verse 9, Let the waters under the heavens. And day, uh, 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 also on day 3 in verse 11, Let the earth sprout. And so there's this repetition of God speaks. And he says, Let there be something. And boom, it happens. And that's really the second repeated thing. Each day begins with God speaking, saying, Let there be. And then guess what? And then it happens. And on each day after God speaks, then there is this expression that says, and it was so. Well, God sets out to do it. It happens exactly as He says, exactly as He creates. And it was so. Wouldn't it be so nice if, like, as creators, we could just, like, see you, like, a, uh, you know, or even, like, to have this creative power. It's like, uh, up in my upper room here, wouldn't it be so nice to just be, and let there be built-in bookshelves. And I just... Just let there be, or like to take a song that we, we want or a painting and just say, let there be a beautiful painting of a landscape of the Texas Hill Country. And, and it is not so. I do not have that creative power. But it'd be so nice. Even to just take the raw materials and here's all the lumber I go and buy and then let there be built-in bookshelves. Alas, I have not that power, but God... He says, let there be, and it happens. It happens. And not just does it happen. At the end of each day, what does he say? And it was good. And it was good. And God saw that the light was good. And God saw that it, it, the seas were good. And he saw that the earth was good at the end of each day. Why? Because what God creates, he only creates what is good. And on day six, he creates the man and the woman. We'll look closely at that in a minute here. But he gives man and woman a special responsibility over his good creation. In verse 26, jump down there. God says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing, not creepy, creeping thing, that creeps on the earth. What God creates, He creates as good. And as uh, what He creates as good, we then are given this special uh, purpose to take hold of, to steward God's good creation, to take care of it. And so when God says, let them, or He says, let us create man after our likeness there in verse 26, He's speaking less of the physical attributes and more of the intrinsic attributes. And so what do we mean by that? Well, uh, you likely know here, my wife and I, we have had a, a, a daughter this uh, last July. She just turned three months. That's just crazy to me. We have a three-month-old, y'all. 
to remind myself of that. And she bears our likeness, physically speaking. Although there's some debate, maybe we should uh, uh, take a, a, a poll here this morning to see, does she look more like Blair, does she look more like Aaron? Because we really can't tell. I think she can. Aaron? Okay. <laughs> I think she favors me a little bit, but maybe that's, yeah, I don't know. Aaron? That would be God's kindness, yeah. That for sure. That's for sure. That is for sure. I used to tell our campers to clean up their cabin because I ain't their mama. And if I was their mama, they'd have one ugly mama, so get your stuff cleaned up. <laughs> so I pray Savannah does not look like me as well. But when God is saying this about man and woman and making them in our likeness, he's not necessarily meaning that, although even that is an expression of God's creative diversity and, and awesomeness there. But he's, I think he's speaking more here of the intrinsic attributes that humans, you and I, man and woman, we have understanding and emotion and will and ability to make decisions and character unlike any other piece of God's creation. We, we are unique in this. We are good in this. And so uh, being created after God's likeness also comes with a special purpose to represent God on this earth. That's what he means to have dominion over the fish in the sea. And not to be domineering, but to lead and to care, to be a steward of God on this earth over the rest of his creation, uh, especially here in ruling over the earth as stewards of the sovereign, as ambassadors of the king. This is what he has done, and this is really an expression of God's greatness. To set up a system to care for all of his creation, and, and you know this, we can take this way too far, can't we? Like, just, like everything in, in, uh, in, in this world, humans, we, we just like to go to the extremes and we take it too far in one way or the other. And God has called us to be stewards, not to, too far, and to be like the saviors of the world. Right, and you've seen different things along the way. You know, we have to save the whales, and we have to save things, and, and our conscience is like pricked when we throw a LaCroix can in the trash, and we like have to go save it out of there. attempt to be saviors. Hey, there we are. We attempt to, uh, we think that we have to, uh, to save everything, and, and if it's, it's up to us to, to conserve and to reduce, reuse, and recycle, and I'm not saying we don't do that, but we can become controlled by it. Make idols of things. We can make idols of even our pets and elevate you know, the, the, our, our dogs and our cats and even our fish to like human-like status. And give them human names and call them our babies and things. And yes, we're to love our pets, you know. But you get what I'm saying, right? We can take that way too far and view ourselves as like saviors of God's good creation. Let me just tell you, there is one savior of this earth. One savior of our soul. It is not us. But we can also then go to the other side, right? And we can just become squanderers. We're just, we're just wasteful. We don't care a, a bit and we, just, we, we, we use a, a little bit and we throw it all away or we don't care or we lord it over. We use and abuse animals in God's creation or whatever it might be. And we, we just distort the, 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 the responsibility that God has given us by taking it to the extremes when he's called us to be stewards. 
to steward with care, to conserve it now as we use it. Thankful to God, grateful that He would give us all of these things and to preserve it for later till God tarries and, you know, and burns the whole place up anyways. But we are to preserve it for the next generation, for our kids. With the response, see, we have a responsibility as stewards to care for the heavens, the waters, and the earth, the things that God has formed and filled. And isn't He so great? to set up a care plan like this for his creation. God just didn't speak it all into existence and say, hey, y'all, figure it out. Don't use it up, because if you do and I don't come back, well, then I guess, I don't know what you're going to do then. No, he sets up a care plan for his creation through giving authority and responsibility to humanity to care for it and through causing uh, our creation to reproduce trees bearing nuts and seeds and, and, uh, uh, and even animals reproducing and multiplying. Even all of this is an expression of God's ability to create and His greatness in that ability. You know, the text takes us even a step further into the greatness of God's creation here, God's greatness as a creator. Here, see, out of His greatness, not only does He create what is good, but God creates what is special. And what is special we treat with dignity. What is special, we, uh, we treat with dignity. Join me again in verse 26. I'm going to read the rest of the chapter for us, and then we'll uh, look at it closely here. Verse 26, then it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth. And every tree with seed and its fruit, you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. This is God's word for God's people. See, what God creates, when he creates what is special, we treat with dignity. And so there's a, sh a change here on the sixth day. Notice I, I, I remember from a bit ago where I talked about the, the repetitions. Let there be, let there be, let there be. And then in verse 26, there's a change. This is also, as good Bible students, alert us to something significant, to something special. The change in language here in verse 26 says, Let us make man. A reference here, a veiled reference to the Trinity, to God in His plurality as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit there at uh, creation, making both man and woman in their image. It's a subtle change, but a significant change in what is happening here. And now to try to explain it all and to explain the Trinity and the differences here is, is like uh, one of those mind-blowing events that takes a long time and would love to do it. I'd love to do it with you. Recently, Malachi actually asked me and trying to explain it to him. Malachi's my nine-year-old, but he asked me if the Father and the Spirit died when Christ died on the cross. I'm like, well, bud, let, how do I explain it? No, he did not. 
No, they did not. It was just Christ died. And he's like, well, they're like they're all God, right? And so if Jesus died, why didn't they die? I was like, well, they're separate members of the Trinity. They're both God, but they're all one, right? They're three in one. So why didn't they? Well, yes, they are one, but they are three distinct persons. And so when Christ died, they did not die, right? Like to be like biblically precise, we don't say God died on the cross. We want to be precise and say Christ died on the cross. And, you know, we went back and forth like this, and he kept asking those questions, and then it was like, hey, can I go play outside? And I was like, it's probably a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> but in our understanding of who God is here, he is the creator, and in his image is what makes even humanity special. To be created less like the physical attributes, again, more like those intrinsic attributes here. But we begin to see, even in God's wisdom and His greatness, to create two genders, man and woman, male and female, in His likeness. The complementarianism that exists in there, the plurality and the oneness that comes in marriage uh, as to a man and a woman come together is an expression of the image of God that gives humanity a significant value and should be treated as such. Over and above all of the rest of God's creation, this creation which we steward, but we as humans have a, a value unlike anything else in God's creation. The diversity of humanity is itself valuable. An expression of God's greatness to create an expression of the complexity and the, the variety of who God is, how He blows our mind, those physical attributes, yes, like even that is an expression of, of, of the complexity of God and how He has created people with different hair colors, different eye colors, different skin colors, different heights, different weights, different things, and those personality attributes, introverted, extroverted, athletic, academic, artistic, whatever it might be, all of it, mind you, all of it, church, is an expression of the greatness of God and the value in which He has placed in us and therefore we treat one another with dignity. Because we begin to see the differences in one another and what does it often lead us to? Often the things that are different about other people are the things that irritate us the most, aren't they? God creates a man and a woman different and brings them together in marriage. And the things that, uh, and, and here's just the wild part about it all. Oftentimes the, those strengths, those things that we love about another person, particularly like our spouse or even our kids or a friend, those things that we love about them also are the things that can just get under our skin. And they become the sources of conflict. They become the things that, uh, that disrupt it, and we'll get more into why that is even next week as we take Genesis 3. But here's the thing that I would challenge you to do even this morning. As you begin to see the differences in how God has created, the way we treat one another with dignity is to see those differences not as uh, irritants, but as unique traits all under the character of God. As you begin to like feel your blood boil, you begin to be confused even. Maybe it's not just led to anger. You're like just confused. Like, why in the world do they act like that? Why in the world do they do these things? I encourage you just to take a step back and to think about God and what you know about God and His character. And, and, and as they are created in the image of God, remind yourself of that. Of the co-worker who's so different, who just works on a, on a different uh, pace who's just slower and more methodical than you, and you're like trying to push to the deadline. You're trying to push to get this thing done at work. 
You're, you're just, you're ramrod, you're going fast, and this person is just like the boat anchor back there. You're like, come on. You're irritated. You want to get to the next thing. I'm just challenge you, even in that, like, don't be irritated, but slow down. Praise God. Remind yourself, hey, God's never in a hurry. He does things on his own timeline. And so even in the midst of this, it's going to be okay. Maybe I'm trying to push a little too fast. Maybe I'm trying to push a little bit. Maybe God's teaching you something through the difference in personality in this person. Maybe in your marriage, you have a husband who's super detailed. OCD even. Always nitpicking. Comes home and you've done 45 things and what does he notice as soon as he walks in the door? The one thing that didn't get done, right? Am I getting too close to home? This is for me, y'all. This is me. And man, it causes conflict here. He's detailed and, and all that. And, 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 and you know, we, our, our blood begins to boil. We begin to feel offensive or offended and get defensive and, and, and all that. And maybe we can just like take a deep breath. Praise God for it. And you know what? God has created uh, my husband to think in this way. Or my wife or whoever it might be. The coworker, you, you name it. You fill in the blank. This isn't a personal shot at any of us. But it's teaching us to, that, you know what? God cares about the details. Thank God that he is involved in the little things of life. And so even if my husband is being sinful or offensive in this, and maybe he's not meaning to be, but God's just wired him to think this way. Teach us, we can see the diversity of God, and let's let what is oftentimes irritants about the diversity and the differences in God's creation actually become a place uh, for us to worship God and to treat one another with dignity and not be so uh, uh, irritated all the time. This is for me, y'all. This is a lesson God is teaching me. Because, see, not only is it in these, the details, it's in male and female. You know, as I said, this story narrows. You can read chapter 2 about the creation of uh, Eve and women there. But see, here's the thing. Go to verse 27, chapter 1. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. We talk about man and woman's special purpose. Purpose, the first one, was to represent God on this earth, but is also to reproduce humans on this earth. He says to them, uh, to the male and female, then in verse 20, he blesses them, says, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Yes, y'all, that means what you think it means. We are supposed to have children, but no, it doesn't mean that everyone's supposed to have like a million kids and, and uh, all that. But combined with this first purpose to represent God and, and now to reproduce here, yeah, we are to have kids, and, but mostly this is a call to discipleship. I say this is a call, this spiritual call here is a call to discipleship. We're to multiply and to pass on to the next generation as God's representatives those things that uh, we have learned about God. We're to invest in others for their spiritual good. We're to care for and to steward the earth. And uh, part of that is stewarding the spiritual uh, uh, news, the truth that has been entrusted to us, the gospel that has been given to us. And we pass it on. See, life is about multiplication in, in every phase. Yes, physically speaking, in our families, but, but even spiritually speaking. And here's the cool thing. God has given us the resources of His creation to accomplish it. 
Twice he says in these verses, 29 and, and, and 30, he says, I have given these things. Speaking specifically of food, but he says, I have given, I have given. And the cool thing is, as we think uh, spiritually about these things, is that he's given us all we need to parent our kids, to love our wives, to serve and love our neighbors, to be a good friend, to be there in the trenches with uh, one another, to be a good uh, employee or employer. He's given us all that we need to treat one another with dignity. And see, what God, uh, and God, he just, you know, he has a unique way of creating all of us, and he puts us all together so that we are all different, and we are causing one another to grow and flourish in our faith. This, this is God's greatness to do it. I know it, it's difficult at times, isn't it, y'all? But it is God's greatness to love us. We are each uniquely and equally image bearers of our God. Even in, the, even in just the diversity of how we all look in here. And it could be way more diverse. There are contexts uh, more diverse than even ours. But even in this, we are all uniquely and equally image bearers. And that should, even that, that thought here, should both at the same time humble us greatly. Think like, Wow. I'm made in the image of God. I have this responsibility. And it should also build us up greatly. It should build us up greatly. I love these lyrics here from uh, the song, My Worth is Not in What I, I Own. Maybe the most profound lyrics that at least I have come across. These two wonders are two wonders here I confess. My worth and my unworthiness. My value fixed, my ransom paid at the cross. As we think of what God has done, how He has created us in His image, and we think of what Christ did at the cross to redeem sinful men and women, to restore dignity to what has been broken, to reconcile us to the Father, it is at the cross where God's greatness was on display like none other, where His great love was poured out for us. And while God has displayed here in chapter 1 His great ability to create physical life that makes Him great, His ability to create spiritual life out of nothing makes Him even greater, bringing dead men and women in sin to life in Christ. But again, more on that next week as we look at sin in Genesis 3 and God's greatness despite our sin. And so, church, as we stand here on the welcome mat of the front door of our Bible... Let us see here, let us enter in with this anthem on our lips. In the beginning, God is great. God is, God is great, and out of His greatness, He creates what is good and what is special, and we steward that with care, and we treat it with dignity, representing God here on earth and reproducing humans here on earth. And it is these things for which God has blessed us. It is these things, to say it in a different way, that God has made us great. God is himself great, and he has blessed us and made us great in him.